0: To the movie babble podcast this week you have myself and nick uh brennan is off uh saying something in a mirror i think Some, something something <laughs> like that uh how are you doing nick
1: pretty sure it's all he does when he's
0: not on this podcast uh i'm doing great how are you doing Mike? i'm i'm doing fine it's it's been a little bit of a disappointing uh movie weekend but uh, we'll get into that <laughs> um so i think we should just start off with the big one um so there's a There's a trailer that has been anticipated for quite a while. Like People have been asking for this trailer for months. Um, There's been rumors about it for well over a year. Um, It leaked online last Sunday, and then it kind of forced Sony's hand. It sounds like they were going to release it on Monday anyways, but it got leaked. They took it down, and then they put the real one up uh, Monday, and that is for Spider-Man No Way Home. Um, which promises to have all of the Marvel in it. Um, and it kind of blew up the world. Um, it has the record for most views for a trailer in 24 hours, and it holds that record by a good 60 million views. Um, and at least 30 million of those were probably from me. So, uh, <laughs> it's sitting at 355 and a half million views, um, which is just insane. But, uh, do you, do you think the trailer delivered? Do you think it gave up too much? What are your thoughts on it?
1: Um this trailer's fun. It's really really fun. Um I was kind of concerned with uh, the deep fake technology on Doc Ock. It clearly there's clearly some uh like de-aging stuff going on there with Alfred Molina because he's what how old is he now? Like 60, 65,
0: 3 something?
1: He's an he's an old dude and he has that lovely CGI Sheen on him now, so I hope that's get that gets fixed for when that movie comes out. But this movie looks fun. It looks like one of the few. It kind of, it does give you the same feelings as the, as Endgame, where it's oh look look all these all these comic book characters I really like. They're all in the same frame kind of thing. <laughs> and I feel like the Raimi Spider-Man movies have a certain kind of uh, cachet these days, where they've just been like Tobey Maguire. Emo Tobey Maguire dancing in Spider-Man three has been a meme for, I think since before memes truly existed in their form now. And I feel like everyone has a sense of nostalgia for those movies that are even a little different than like a lot of other superhero movies, uh, personally. Uh, but I think it's fun. I, who knows? i I still think it's hilarious that they've kept up the, like the home subtitle for all these movies. They've really doubled down on that. And, uh, good for them, I guess. I don't know. Uh but uh this this trailer looks really fun. I'm looking forward to the movie.
0: Yeah, I think um just the two Spider-Man installments we've gotten in the MCU so far have been really consistent. Like they've both been very good and there wasn't much of a drop between one and two. Um I think arguments could be made that either one is like the better movie, but they both been pretty solid so far. Um I like John Watts. Disney obviously likes him enough to give him the Fantastic Four. Um so I've have, I've have pretty good faith in this movie. It's nice to see the Raimi uh trilogy just like at the forefront of the the internet consciousness again. Uh which I think kind of on your point is something that those three movies have always seemed to be in the conversation. And there aren't many other superhero franchises um pre MCU that really have managed to do that. Like when was the last time you saw people like fawning over X-Men One through three or the Blade trilogy? Or even like <laughs> the nineties Batman films? Um, I see like horny Twitter pulls out some Batman returns gifts pretty often. Oh, but... <laughs> absolutely. Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, none of these other like one offs right, right? No one's posting like Fantastic Four, uh Chris Evans. <laughs> <laughs> Gifts all the time, but the Raimi trilogy is always at the forefront, and so it's nice to see the internet just like be in love with that again.
1: Yeah, and I think that's all Raimi because obviously his directing style is just so distinct. You know, it's it walks that amazing line of amazing energy, it's really chaotic, possibly a self parody, but also really good and really endearing and really well made. And uh, there's there's there really isn't quite anything like those original three. And I think three is a better movie than people give it credit for. I think it's probably gone through some kind of reevaluation since it first came out. I mean, obviously it has its problems. Definitely the worst of three, but, um, yeah, it has a legacy far more. Like even I would probably push back a little bit and say, um, far from home is a step down in terms of the two Spider-Man movies we've seen. Um, but, I'm, I'm, but when you compare that one to Spider-Man 3, I'd rather talk about <laughs> Spider-Man 3 any day of the week, any time. I'm here for it. So, uh, yeah, then this movie is leading up to uh, the next Sam Raimi movie where he's doing Doctor Strange 2. So there's a little bit of uh, poetry in there, too. It's just, it looks fun. I hope Sony has a tendency to put everything in their trailers. So I hope this is not the case. I have a feeling this is the first act of this movie. Or things are going crazy. So uh we'll see. Yeah. Uh, I hope
0: so. Here's my hot take. I would love for Toby Maguire to come back. However, <laughs> I feel like what's gonna happen is Doc Ock is gonna be like Peter's sidekick, and then it's gonna be the two of them just beating the ass of every villain that's ever been in a Spider Man movie. I mean like Willem Dafoe's coming back, you got Jamie Foxx's electro. Uh, I'm sure Paul Giamatti would be down to just, like, yell Russian Oh, please bring the rhino back. (laughs) I'm so ready. (laughs) Um, But I think my only real fear with this is, and this is something that I got from rewatching all of the Raimi ones yesterday, um, because the trailer just, like, got me hyped for Spider-Man, is I like how isolated the Spider-Man Raimi films seem. So, like, the end of all those movies are just two dudes, like two singular people punching each other. Um, where I think even like this Spider Man has gotten really off of that. Like, um, to kind of go to Far From Home again. Like the final fight is Spider Man versus a Thousand Robots. And then <laughs> like a vague quick hallway fight with Jake Gyllenhaal. But like the Raimi movies always end in, in these very like personal fights. Like the first one is, you know, uh the Green Goblin and Spider Man fighting on a bridge and then in an abandoned warehouse. And then I think the The best fight of the franchise or of the series is you know Spider-Man and Doc Ock fighting at weird angles where you know, only those two can fight each other. Um, so I hope we don't lose a lot of that intimacy with you know throwing all of them into one movie.
1: Yeah, and it seems like from everything I've seen, Doctor Strange two two is the movie that's the big one in all of this. Where it's we had the all the multiverse and variant stuff set up in Loki. We have this, but it seems like all of this is going to come to a head when Scarlet Witch comes back from WandaVision. Um, all this is going to come come to a head in Doctor Strange 2. So I am a little nervous where I hope this movie isn't just a setup for more things. I mean, every Marvel movie is technically a setup for more things, but there have been more egregious examples like Ultron, where that's barely a movie. It's just getting ready for phase three. Um, yeah, it's there's also the thing, too, where... Um, I think a lot of people have written where the first two Spider-Man movies are. He's basically Iron Man, you know, because they do the, <laughs> they do the because uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man is his was uh, is, is, is his father figure, you know. So he's kind of trying to live up to his shadow, and so he's a lot of people have of criticized a little bit that he's more so trying to be Iron Man than trying to be Spider-Man. So I hope that whatever character development there's left for him in his original trilogy i'm sure we're seeing tom holland again after this but whatever they have left for him i hope that's not put on the back burner for more just general world building because i think tom holland is lovely uh he's going to be spider-man for 50 more years because he continues (laughs) to look like he's 12 um and whatever grossness he tries to do in the devil all the time or cherry (laughs) just will not uh, convince me otherwise and uh, I really like him, so I hope this movie does continue to focus on him. But uh, yeah, like you said, uh, Marvel really likes John Watts, so I think they probably think they have something good here.
0: Yeah, and I feel like Spider-Man and Doctor Strange are pretty much going to carry the MCU forward as kind of the Iron Man and Captain America. Yeah, that's countries. what it seems like, yeah. Um, I feel like they were hoping to have put Black Panther in that direction, so it'll be interesting to see how that pans out, but that'll be, that'll be a different conversation. Um, but yeah. I'm excited. Like, This is the first blockbuster this year that I've seen the trailer for, besides Free Guy, and was like, yes, sit me down. I need it.
1: <laughs> I, so I have one question for you, where I watched this trailer, and immediately I was like, is Doctor Strange a dumbass? Like, What is he doing? He's <laughs> just like, yeah, I'll fuck with the multiverse for your weird requests, like your selfish requests. And I've seen a lot of people since Say, like, hey, maybe that's not Doctor Strange. There's some weird multiverse stuff already going on because, um, uh, what's his face? J. Joe Jameson is back, so maybe there's uh, some other weirdness going on. But, uh, did that strike you as weird that he's just like, I got you, fam, let's mess up, let's mess everything up? Or no, you know, you're holding your breath.
0: I feel like that was such a big part of the trailer because there are people who haven't seen Wanda Vision or Loki. And so you've got like all those people that need to know why suddenly you know Alfred Molina is showing up as Doc Ock. So I feel like that'll probably have more context and more than just like oh Peter was talking and now there's a multiverse. Hopefully, <laughs> I mean I could be wrong, but
1: yeah, I am here for uh, uh, Doctor Strange and his Arctic wear drinking coffee though. I'm very here <laughs> for that. That looks silly, Strange. <laughs> That uh, looks great. I hope Benedict Wong comes back from his vacation in the third act to save the day. That's what he's should happen in, in this
0: movie. I'm ready to see him fight Abomination in four days. So, is Benedict Wong in in Shang Chi? Yeah, he's in the oh. he's in the trailer. He's the one just getting decked in the the. King oh Church. really?
1: Oh, I haven't been paying attention. I've watched that trailer probably 20 times before movies <laughs> in, in the theaters and have not noticed so that's where my fandom's at <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh but yeah that is spider-man so uh we'll, we'll move to the other man uh this one a little bit more sinister uh so this was naida costa's Candyman, uh, which is following in the vein of a lot of horror movies lately i think halloween kind of started this trend of just ignoring all the crazy sequels and just doing a direct sequel um so this is a follow up to 1992's Candyman, um, and it it's a movie. Um, I walked out of this movie, and I don't want to give anything away, not knowing whether or not I liked it. And I think I figured it out by now, uh, but we'll see. So <laughs> I'm I proud think, of you. <laughs> <laughs> like I was, I was punching up my letterbox, you know, paragraph, and I was like, I. I don't know. Like, did I like it? Did I not like it? Uh but because I think our opinions are gonna be fairly similar, um what is what is one thing about uh twenty twenty one's Candyman that you enjoyed? Uh those
1: upside down skyscrapers in the credits are amazing. That credit sequence is so cool. Uh but yeah, i I think Nina DaCosta is a great director. Um Little Woods, I keep championing as a really good movie. It came out a few years ago. Uh, it's a really terrific, also issues-minded movie that I think is very, very good, very un- underseen. Um, yeah, I think her visual sense in this movie is like incredible. It's Her directing is so good that it's in search of a much better script. You know, Because if you just watch this movie, if you just look at some of the visual scenes that you look at, some of like like the art gallery sequence where there's the first big, uh, I guess, a slasher sequence there. It's just unbelievably directed and you, like you see little glimpses of Candyman and mirrors all over the place just in the background of scenes. All that stuff is amazing. So I think despite this movie kind of falling flat a little bit for me, I think she's a, still an amazing director.
0: You know, personally, I really like the way that Coleman Domingo says the name mm-hmm. Candyman.
1: Oh, he puts some extra <laughs> oomph on that. He's he's great. Coleman Domingo is so good. I
0: love him in every movie he's in. He's amazing. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna echo that sentiment. I think the script is really, really rough. Um, I like that they're taking this, um, not quite in a new level, but in a little bit of a deeper level. Um, and I think, you know, because the first Candyman. Uh, ooh, that's the fifth time I've said Candyman. Is, uh, <laughs> is there a mirror right in front of you? <laughs> I'm looking at myself on the video screen, so... <laughs> well, if I just
1: talk to myself for 40 minutes, you know what happened to Colin.
0: <laughs> um, So so the first film is about gentrification. I, I don't think that's a, a big spoiler. Um, and this movie is also about gentrification. Uh, but they take it in slightly different directions so i think this movie tackles a lot more of the generational implications and i think part of that is it's also 30 years later and gentrification is much more prevalent Um, whereas you know in 1992 it wasn't exactly a new concept but it was where it was starting to really like it was the boom period for it Yeah. yeah um and so so i like that they add that layer to it and so you can you know almost address the same issues without having to say the same things Um, And they do add just to the mythos of the Candyman as a figure. Uh, And I think that's the part that never really quite landed for me in full. Um, So I like what the attempt is, but these characters are just robots. Um, Like, they're just beating you over the head with the subtext that's just directly coming out of their mouths. And there's one really cringy moment that made me think of Uh, so shout out to marvel uh the falcon and the winter soldier and Mm, uh when mm. when lamar is killed and then uh what's the the fake captain america's name uh whatever john John, yeah it's like it's like the camera pushes in he's like very slow he's like you don't think lamar's life mattered it's like it's very obvious what they're talking about but it's It's very cringily delivered, and there's a part in this movie, um, towards the beginning, where it's kind of the same style of delivery. Where This uh, art critic is like, yeah, you people are responsible for gentrification, and it's like a very slow pause, and he's like, what do you mean, you people? It feels like an episode of Seinfeld uh, for a minute, (laughs) but it's just, it's very heavy-handed, there's not a lot of subtlety and like you said the script is is rough.
1: Yeah, there really isn't much subtext here. It's it's all text. It's said all these characters are kind of just cipher's for the ideas themselves of the movie, which obviously not not always a bad thing, you know, people I think it's, there's a lot of directors who get away with being didactic and it's incredible and they make incredible films. Um yeah, it's just it's one of those where, you know, like I agree with everything this movie is saying, but I just I wish you would uh, dress it up a little better, you know, because uh, I think the original Candyman is, I think, one of the best horror movies in the 90s. And it's it, it continues to get better and better and just how honestly prophetic it is to this day. And it stands up so well. And that movie is amazing at clearly showing you what's on its mind. Um, gentrification, uh, racism. All these, all these little... All these ideas. And it also helps... It allows you to fill in some of the gaps. It keeps things just vague enough where... Um, it's not taking advantage of how vague it is, but the way it presents itself allows you to take more meaning from it than what's on the page. And I think that's one of the reasons that movie is just... Is endured. I think that movie is so good. Uh, yeah, this movie, it's just... It's all kind of there on the surface. And I'm very curious if this movie went through some kind of either product, like it went through some weirdness through production or some script rewrites uh, because this movie is also under 90 minutes which normally for me is <laughs> great love to see that as the champion of 90 minute movies on this podcast but this movie is really like is really rushed where I think there's really no character work at all where the only Chance that these characters have to speak is where they talk about the ideas of the movie, and if there were other more personal um, beats around those, I think they might soften them up a little bit more or help them work out. Where it's just these characters really aren't characters. You just like Abdul Mateen is a really good actor and he's trying stuff in the in the lead role, but I feel like there was just it seems like there's scenes missing where you would kind of buy his the decline of his uh, mental state a little more. Um, it just seems like there's pieces missing then you get to the third act of this movie which just comes out of nowhere. It feels like that was almost a reshoot. I, I have no I have no knowledge to back that up, but it's just kind of what it looks like or feels like it feels like there was so much cut from that area where it just feels like it, it's like, oh, the movie's over. okay, got it. Um, it's very it's very weird. I wish this it's one of the few times I wish a movie was 15, 20 minutes longer because I feel <laughs> like there probably was there in the script somewhere and they got cut for whatever reason. I don't know. And there are some snippets in the trail, the first trailer you don't see in this movie, too, so that's a little sign of that as well. But, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird one. You kind of wish... You watch it and you
0: wish it was a better movie than it was. Yeah, and I felt like the kills were pretty tame um, compared to, like, just what you're seeing. So a lot of them are, like, the final death is occurring off-screen or kind of askew out of the picture Um, so again like comparing it to something like Halloween which was very brutal I think that same intensity is here with like how the Candyman is killing people but you really don't see a lot of it like there are a lot of characters that die off screen in this movie uh, which I was kind of surprised from
1: yeah there's also the one really good moment the opposite of that where uh, someone is stabbing someone else and someone says yeah "Yeah, I think they're dead so (laughs) uh, yeah I don't know if I have much of an issue with that as you do, because um, I think there is one gnarly scene in that gallery sequence where you see someone's yeah. neck sliced open, which is pretty good. Um, yeah, I never really identified with Candyman for like the gruesomeness of the kills. I just think that the original Tony Todd character, I think, is just just you can just take so much away from that. It's such a thoughtful, thoughtfully constructed character for so many different ways. Um, yeah, it's just this one feels like it's kind of just going through the motions a little bit. Uh, I wish. It feels like it feels like it's just talking to like the most oblivious uh, audience possible, and by that I mean just like boomer, like white people, <laughs> you know. Like it feels like it's it's not really adding anything new to the conversation because it feels like it's dumbing itself down for an audience that might not necessarily be the target audience. I don't know. It just feels like it's just I don't I don't quite understand what it's going for because I feel like all of these ideas have been presented in very recent movies. I think. Just a lot better uh, for, and so I, I, just don't know quite know what it's after in that sense because you don't really get, a, you don't really get a good sense of location in Chicago. It just it'll just cut to a uh, rundown neighborhood and then it'll cut back to high-rise apartments. You no know, Chicago. You know, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, like you just you don't you don't really get those juxtapositions of rich and poor and all these other things. That I think made the original so great, and that the the direction in that first movie is awesome by Bernard Rose. Um, yeah, it just feels like it feels like some like they like, like they cut off a few minutes of establishing shots here and there, and then over the course of that, you come out with a movie that is kind of just not as good. Is probably what they filmed. I don't know. It just this it really feels like they did something in post production to it because like the, the the direction in some scenes are is so good, and the art direction is like staggering. It feels like there was like there had to be more thought put into the script of this, right? Because there's clearly so much put into other places of the movie. I don't really know.
0: Yeah, and I want to talk about the character of the Candyman because um, I think that's probably the Thing that worked the best in the first movie that doesn't really work much in this movie um so in, in candy man 1992 right tony todd is the candy man and a lot of that movie is you know helen lyle kind of uncovering the the mystery behind this figure and you know translating all those things that happened to him and you know the lasting impact that that kind of action has on the community whereas in this movie it's more like candy men And they've kind of, (laughs) and this is the thing where I I kind of like what they're going for, but I think the character suffers because of it in the sense that they're trying to build, build it into candy men. So they're trying to turn the candy man almost into like a, a dark Avenger for the community, right? Like something bad happens to, uh, one of, one of the citizens in the community. And so he dies, becomes the candy man, and then, you know, wreaks havoc on, um, you know, all the perpetrators and that kind of thing. But for most of the movie, you're dealing with a Candyman who doesn't have a name or a face, really. Um, like, he's, he's kind of given this, this quick little introduction at the beginning of the movie. Um, and then the, the spooky spectral Candyman um, is, you know, he, he lacks a lot of the depth and a lot of the realness um, that Tony Todd had. Now, like, opposite of that is because they're building a certain other character into the Candyman. Along the way, and I think you know he becomes a good Candyman down the line. But the one the the man we're calling Candyman for most of the movie, I don't think really just has that same presence or creates that same tension that Tony Todd did in the original.
1: Yeah, it's they mostly just kind of uses using as like a boogeyman kind of figure, like yeah. just a generic slasher guy. He doesn't really, yeah, like with that Tony Todd stuff, they just. They let, I mean the, the sound design in that first movie is outrageous. Every time he talks, it just echoes throughout eternity and it's amazing. And in this movie, it's just there are some really good tricks where where, as I mentioned before, where like Candyman is in the background of stuff of scenes and you see him in a mirror or like a glass panel and they don't really like the camera doesn't really call attention to it. It's just there in like the right corner of the screen. That stuff is really good. But yeah, other than that, it's just kind of like Someone says Candyman candy five times, and then they come, and the real Candyman comes and kills them, and then the scene's over, right? And it's kind of a rinse and repeat a lot, and then that's interstitched with um, like other like dialogue scenes where it's just very on the nose commentary. Uh, so it's yeah, it just doesn't it doesn't quite do it in the same way. I feel like kind of like what I was mentioning earlier that they kept the first movie kept a lot of the stuff vague so that the Candyman figure stands for so much more because you can read into that, how that character is used throughout the movie. Uh, But here it's just kind of, it's, it's, it's more of a, it's just, it just doesn't work as well. You're right.
0: Yeah. And you know, I, I like the direction they're trying to take it, but I don't think that the character backs up what that greater thought kind of is. Um, and that thought that is later exposited, just like straight into the movie. I don't think uh, the the yellow jacketed Candyman that we see in this movie for most of its run really lives up to that. Um, but I do want to talk about that that good old third act because um, this seems <laughs> to be <laughs> where everybody that has problems with this movie has problems with this movie. So I think. Um, this movie has a a nice build I, it's by no means perfect in the first two acts um, but I like where it's going I think everything is even if it's kind of rough put there pretty competently and then like they just hit the NOS into the third act and suddenly like <laughs> <laughs> the development doesn't really matter because somebody else is pulling the strings and it just kind of loses itself uh, in this, <laughs> this final chapter
1: yeah it's a uh that's very I think that's very much where the the third act is really targeted towards like your your white boomers where it's it's very like they're basically basically characters talking directly to camera being like this is what this movie is about in a lot of ways and uh, yeah like I again I agree with everything this movie is getting at but it's just it's just a, it's a, it's a it's quite messy in how it presents that and also just not very nuanced so it's um, yeah it just, All of a sudden, like, you snap your fingers and it turns into an entirely different movie, you know? It's very, very bizarre. The third act is especially where I feel like a lot of the, like, a lot of it was cut out for some reason. Because it just feels like there's just, there are just scenes missing there. Because the Tiana Paris character, uh, who, uh, I really like her as an actor. I think she's great. Uh, But she just shows up somewhere and she's (laughs) in a dark, she's in a dark, uh, I don't know, alley, not alley, but just like a, some kind of corridor. And then, uh, yeah, then she's not anymore, and the movie's <laughs> over. It's very, it's very, like, scattershot and all over the place. It just doesn't, it just does not, not work.
0: Yeah, and I think that's where they kind of throw out a lot of the, the development of Anthony, uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen's character, um, because this is basically, like, his origin story as, you know, the Candyman becomes real to him. It um, almost is, you know, this environment and these generational wounds um, are kind of forced upon him as he's, you know, kind of willingly engaging with this. But also there's a lot that he can't control that's happening to him um, through it. And then they really throw out his ability to choose. Like, he is, you know, off being being a little cuckoo. And then, like you said, yeah, it cuts to Tiona Paris in, like, tied up to a chair. And then he's also tied up to a chair and he doesn't even have like a line of dialogue (laughs) and all that yeah it's just like uh another character is like expositing he's like yeah but you didn't think that i was evil the whole time and then uh it's like here's exactly what's gonna happen and then all of that happens exactly like that Um, yeah
1: i i think this movie is trying to go after right this this generational just incompetence and how it kind of leads um just so many people to just unfortunate demises in one way or another. And I think that's what they're going for with Yael Abdul-Mateen's character because, right, he doesn't have much agency. And I think they're trying to make a point of that where this was fated for him based on the circumstances of where he lives and his race and all these other things. So I think if this was a little clearer, I think if there was if, if they if they had set this up a little better, I think that works for what they're going for. But, yeah, they, it just, it's because the third act takes such a left turn. It just doesn't, it doesn't really quite click with you. It just, it does reach, it does reach a little hollow. You're just like, wait, what is, what is happening to this guy? We've followed him the entire movie, and now he's just in the background, not saying anything. Like, what, what's the deal here? So it just, that, there's that divide there, where it's just like, wait, like, what is happening? Why are you here? Who are you? Why, like, what are all these, these character dynamics? Like, what's happening here? It's just, I, there are, there are, there I wish this movie, like I would love to go back on a time machine and like help them figure out how to write the <laughs> script. It's kind of sounds conceited of me to be like, I can fix this movie as this white guy. But um, like, it's just, I like, like there's just so many bits where it's like, if you just did this a little more, you just dialed this back a little bit. You made more sense of this here. I think this movie works so much better. And it turns out to be like some like horror classic. I think it, there's just so much stuff I like about it. I just wish it worked better.
0: Yeah. Um, and I'm in the same boat. You know, there are there are parts of this movie that I really liked. I don't think it came together as well as was intended, or I don't think it comes together um, to reach a lot of the depths that they're really pushing for with a lot of the commentary on, like you said, like gentrification and almost the inevitability of this based on the generational scars that exist in the community. Um, but it was definitely interesting. Like, I was never not engaged, so that is a, a compliment to it there.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I don't know, clearly if you look at Twitter, obviously Twitter is not real life, but it does look like it's a conversation starter in some good ways, not just people yelling at it for being woke, which is just like the worst thing <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Uh, that's, that I hate that so much. <laughs> when did but, uh,
0: Candyman become woke?
1: Yeah, I know. The first movie was just sick. It had nothing to do with politics. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, uh, but yeah, there's a lot of really good stuff in this. Like the like the critical white lens is, I think, is a really interesting thing uh, in this movie too. Where they're where they have that that white critic who's overly um, critical of black art. I think there's something they could have done a little better with there too. Um, I think there's a lot of really cool ideas here uh, in this movie, and I think it's yeah. I just wish it worked better because I really I love Nia Dacosta. She's about to go do the Marvels, so she's not going anywhere. Uh, I think she's super talented. And uh, I think basically everyone involved in this movie is super talented. Uh, I just, it just uh, doesn't quite work. It's kind of a bummer.
0: Shout out to uh, CGI Tony Todd for showing up for 10 seconds and being the only <laughs> one in this movie credited as Candyman. I enjoyed that. That was cute. <laughs> I liked, I liked it. it. But I do think it's funny that they were like, yeah, we have this other actor who's been playing Candyman and this other actor who's also been playing Candyman. But. Yeah, it's Tony true. I mean, Does, any, does anyone ever truly live up to Tony Todd in the end? Let's be real. Uh, but yeah, that is, that is candy, man. Um, what a, what a movie. I mean, I liked that they, uh, they started off the movie with some Sammy Davis jr. I was hyped for that, but yeah, that um, was fun.
1: That was cute. And no, the movie also did well at the box office too, is it seems like, I don't know if people are loving it, but it's captured people's interest in one way or another. So, uh, you could do far worse than this movie. I I hope I don't come across as overly negative because I like a lot of stuff in it. Uh, it just just doesn't quite come together in the end, which is kind of a bummer.
0: Yeah. Um. So we will move on to uh, what is probably what everybody's listening to this podcast for. Um. And that is <laughs> a movie that unfortunately I missed out on this weekend, but Nick uh, was was happy enough to sit down and bite the bullet on He's mm-hmm, all that. Yes. What are, what are your takeaways?
1: Uh, is this my new kissing booth? <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, I hope there's not more of these so it doesn't turn into that. But uh, yeah, He's All That, the gender-swapped remake of She's All That, which is kind of ground zero for the uh, super attractive person who wears glasses so they're ugly. But then we, make, we do the makeover and take the glasses off, and then they're immediately attractive. Uh, f- <laughs> like the template that all rom-coms have used throughout... Time, uh, but yeah. So this time is a Netflix original. It stars Addison Ray of TikTok and uh, Tanner Buchanan, who I think is Cobra Kai, where's what he's been in. Uh, but yeah, Addison Ray basically plays herself. She's an influencer. Uh, she's like telling people about all these products she uses and all these different things and how to improve themselves and do makeovers and stuff. And uh, she is she basically puts, uh, like, she has a challenge with one of her friends to basically make over, uh, Tanner Buchanan's character and make him prom king, and that's it's kind of the movie, <laughs> and uh, it's it's not good, Colin. It's not good. Uh, what? <laughs> it's uh, hmm. It's, I think, I want to avoid because I th- th- I think there is a group of like, of like guy critics who are like they like love to dump on things that are clearly made for like, like like teenage girls. There's like a group of that where they're like, this is so ridiculous. Like how could they make this? And it's like, it's relaxed guy. It's not for you. Uh, but yeah, this movie just is not very, very good. Not like, I'm not going to go crazy about how bad it is. It's just, it's just not, it's just not very good. You know, it just, it really seems like it's kind of just a star vehicle for Addison Ray, who was, I don't know how many TikTok followers she has at this point, but she's super famous there. And so now she's trying to branch out and make movies. And she, I think she made music too, but this is kind of her next big thing and her next jump. And I think we're, it's only the first of many, I think, from people who are famous on like TikTok or anything like that, who are going to try to go branch out and do new things. Um, so uh, she's she's fine in the movie. Uh, I want to pose a question to you later on about the state of weird, like these weird kind of like stunt castings later on. But yeah, this movie is just very much a by the beats, very cringy uh, Netflix rom com. Uh, it's just. There's really not much to it whatsoever. And it's like, yeah, like she's an influencer. So it, she talks about how she's losing followers and that stuff is just the worst, you know, because she's like, I I have to get all my followers back. They need me. And that's kind of like a lot of the dialogue in this movie. So, yeah, that stuff is very, very hard to watch. Um, but it's not quite the train wreck uh, that I thought it would be. So it's a uh, it's it's there. I'm sure people are having fun with dunking on it, but it's not me. I have no no desire to go crazy about this movie.
0: (laughs) Yeah, this was a movie I had not thought about at all, uh, or didn't even know about at all, until Friday. And I have no intention of thinking about it after today. So (laughs) I'm pretty happy with my take on that.
1: Yeah, so my question I wanted to pose to you is, I feel like... There's a lot of weird, you know, I, I remember like in the 2000s, there were all these weird movies where it's like Paris Hilton is in a movie, you know, all these, like these, I guess these celebrities who are celebrities through just not acting and they just, they branch over to acting and they make these unbelievably bad, like baffling, like romantic comedies or whatever. I and mean, like stuff like that. There was like, like a whole generation of that. Um, True. And... I feel like we don't get those anymore because I'm curious if the like the TikTok generation and all these and all, uh, all these young people who are so used to just like being in front of their phones all the time. That's like a version of acting. I wonder if that's uh, like effectively like risen the bar for like how bad of actors these people will be. You know what I mean? Like they have some kind of not even a talent, but they kind of have a general awareness of how to act on camera So you won't get these as baffling performances from all these people. Like you see like Paris Hilton in a movie. She can't act obviously. And it's like hilariously bad. Right. But I feel like Addison Rae probably from her TikTok career has just more general awareness of how to act and how to like pose on camera and how to move around and look, I guess, cinematic in that sense. So I'm curious if we're in this stage now where um, we won't see that kind of baffling like star uh crossover event anymore where the, the it'll just be not good but it won't be fun to talk about does that make sense
0: yeah i'm trying to think because i think pro wrestlers tend to be like one of the groups that get stunt cast the most like they all have and i, I think part of it is um like Redbox, you remember, you remember good old Redbox? Oh yes, good old they Red would Box. Have always have like a ton of movies that would be like some wrestler who wasn't John Cena or The Rock um, that would be just like thrown into a star vehicle because there's a fan base somewhere and it's like somewhat of a relevant skill set. Um, so like I understand why they do it, but yeah, I'm trying to think of anyone or like that type of movie, like you're talking about um that we've seen recently. And I can't think of anything that's like post 2010. And maybe it's just because I'm out of that age group now where you would expect to be looking for those kinds of things. Um but I don't know. I I feel like it also depends on the platform. So I think when you saw this happen, you know, when when we were growing up, it was like right on the tail end of YouTube coming out, right? So suddenly you have all of these like famous people that know how to act in front of a camera, and I feel like we're watching that again, just with a smaller screen and right, yeah, yeah, and it's just like, except now all they do is dance. Um. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, there's there's a few since so Addison Ray obviously is known for doing all our TikTok dances. And there are three inexplicable dancing sequences (laughs) in this movie, where it's like she's doing TikTok dances, basically. And it's like, oh, okay, like she's she's the dancer. Got it. It feels like it's like it's like a big. They were like, okay, like Addison Ray can dance, so how can we put dancing into the movie? And it's it's really funny. Like it's she just like starts breaking out and doing all like the weird TikTok stuff. It's very very funny. It's it's so clearly like a like oh this is your image, so we're gonna play into that, and everyone's gonna know what it is. Um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting phenomenon. Like, I, we'll, we'll, maybe we're doing this podcast in our fifties. <laughs> Who knows what will happen then? But it'll there'll be some weird social media account where someone crosses over and makes a movie, and we'll talk about it, and we'll be so out of touch because we'll have no idea what that thing is that they were on previously. But um, I'm never gonna begrudge somebody who's just like, I got famous. Inexplicably, so now I'm going to try to branch out and do other things. Like good for you, Addison Ray. Right? Like get your money, you know. Like no one, like forced you to do this. Like you're just like go out. Like you have use your following to try to like do whatever you want. I think that's fine. Um, but yeah, it's. I was hoping that this would be like some kind of laughably bad experience for me, and I really didn't get that a lot. Uh, there's like a like there's the few like hilarious dancing sequences in it. And then there's a few hilarious examples of product placement, um, <laughs> but like they're like so there's like one like pool party, and they're there, and, uh, just, and one of the one of the supporting characters is like, whoa, can I have that Pizza Hut? And like Pizza <laughs> Hut comes off like in screen right into like a big slice of pepperoni pizza, and then when they're leaving, they're like, all right, like w- let's head out. Oh, but wait, can I get that? Can I grab some KFC first? <laughs> and she grabs <laughs> off from off screen, she grabs a giant bucket of fried chicken and it's so <laughs> funny it's almost like an snl skit where they're like they're making fun of bad product placement um, <laughs> so other than that it's kind of just a bland movie where Addison ray is just pretty she's just like she's fine she's pretty wooden honestly like she's obviously not an actress but it's clear that she has so much experience like doing like photo shoots or being on tiktok or whatever that she has some kind of wherewithal about how to Kind of act, but she's just not. She's just she's just not an actress, and that's fine. So it's not. I didn't really have a lot of fun watching it in that kind of nihilistic way either. So it's kind of just. It's just kind of, It's just sort of there for me. I mean, it's obviously like it's a it's a, it's a bad movie, <laughs> but um, it didn't it didn't slide into that slot of very hilariously bad like iconic movie that I'll watch so many times because I can laugh at it so much. It's just sort of a very by the numbers cringy movie about an Instagram influencer. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of bland. The one thing I did like was I think Tanner Buchanan, I think is somewhat charming. I think obviously he's the, it's really funny because his character, he's like, he wears a beanie and has like a, f- a fake long hair, like from his wig and yeah. he looks super, He's easy. He's supposed to look grungy. And so that's like, he gets his makeover from that. And it's really funny because his character, they're like, oh yeah, he's so weird. He's really into Kurosawa movies and Kubrick movies and like all these fun things and like martial arts movies. And I'm like, he sounds kind of cool. Why would you want to change him? Uh, (laughs) So it's, it's another one. It's like a backwards, like, no, like you have to like, you have to be the popular version of yourself to be cool kind of thing. And the movie never really totally rectifies with that, but I didn't really expect it to, you know, it's a. It's he's all that, starring Addison and Ray. Of course, I wasn't going to. <laughs> um, but I think he's a he's a pretty charming guy. I would I suspect he'll be around for a little bit because he's a uh, he's trying his best with how not good his character on this on the pages. He's really trying, and uh, yeah. Uh, Matthew Lillard is in this movie for a little bit. He's really fun,
0: nice. uh, obviously
1: because he was he was in um, was he in the original? He was in the original, yeah. Uh, and he, but he's in it for two minutes and I wish he was in it for, he was the lead character and that's a, uh, that's kind of it. That's he's all that. <laughs> it, it exists. I think it's not great, but also not really fun to talk about. And yeah, Addison Ray is fine. That's right, it.
0: We're, we <laughs> have like 40 more minutes scheduled for just he's all that. So I'm going uh, to, Shit, I got a vamp, <laughs> uh, uh,
1: KFC. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh it's, I don't know. It, I, there's some really like cringy parts where it's, uh, uh, Addison Rae's character is dating this. Like he's like a high schooler, but he's also, a uh, like a douchey, uh, singer. I don't, his name's like, names like Jordan van Draenen or whatever. They tried something there. He just has like, uh, like frosted tips and he's very tan and they <laughs> tried. And Courtney Kardashian is in this movie for, two scenes. I should have mentioned it at the top, but I like, cause I guess Addison Rae and her are very close. And that's part of the reason that Addison Rae became so popular. Cause she started hanging out in the Kardashian sphere, but she's, <laughs> it, it seems like they basically went to the, the Kardashian like compound. And she was on like, there's one, there's two scenes that both last 15 seconds and it's Courtney Kardashian on her Peloton bike. And then nice. the next scene, like five minutes later is, uh, her like sitting on that same balcony, but they clearly just moved the, the bike out of the way. And that's it. Like they clearly just filmed her for five seconds and then left and then made her look as like perfect as possible, because there's no way she'd be in the movie otherwise. Um so that was also built as a big part of this movie, but she's not in the movie whatsoever. So yeah, it's just it's this movie, it's like it's it's at once too innocent, but also a little cynical, where Um, like it's just so by the numbers that I can't really like get too mad at it, but it's also clearly a star vehicle for Addison Rae trying to branch out and also being like, look, remember me, I'm the dancer from TikTok that, you know, and trying to put her front and center so that she can kind of branch out and do her own thing. And also Kourtney Kardashian trying to be cool, (laughs) I guess. I don't know. Uh, but it's also just like, it's doing all this very cynical stuff, but it's also so like, I guess, bland about how it goes around doing it. That I just normally this would piss me off a lot, but I'm just, it's just, nah. No, you're nothing. just sad. Yeah, <laughs> it, it barely registered. I watched it and I'm going to move on with my life and continue to talk about the kissing booth instead.
0: Nice. Um, well, <laughs> we're going to go ahead and leave it there and go. Please into do. Let's, the move, let's move on. Uh, so, this, uh, unless I'm somehow incorrect i think this is the first time we've ever done a director a second time for the movie bible club Uh, so i think so thomas vinterberg would be the the first repeat this week um so we did uh back in may i think nick picked the hunt a thomas vinterberg film and then um i really wanted to get into him a little bit more this year um so i went with kursk or the command as it's called in in English, because uh, this is his only English speaking film. Um, so this is a based on a true life um, story of a submarine disaster um, where some some Russian military people um, get stuck at the bottom of the ocean um, in a submarine that has uh, had an accident, and just it's about the ineptitude of command to kind of get these people out and the experiences of the men as they are you know now trapped underwater without any legitimate means of escape um and this is a movie i never really felt anything for um like there's you know there's nothing really cringy there's nothing that i'm like oh this is bad uh but i just wasn't really engaged with what's going on. And I think a part of that is there's a lot going on. Like there's a lot of different tangents that are all, you know, happening at the same kind of real time. Uh, But I, I, I watched this movie and I, I don't know, nothing just pulled me in. Yeah, it's
1: uh, I feel similarly, which is a bummer because I've loved everything else I've seen from Vinterberg and I was really curious to check this out. But yeah, kind of an amazing cast associated with this movie. So you have Matthias and the and as the lead, who have, I've always liked every time he pops up. I feel like he's never quite um, kind of made the transition to fame here in the States, but I think he's a tremendous actor who I always like when he's around. And you have, you have Leah Du, who's just amazing, and you have Augustus Deal, who I think a lot of people would know from Glorious Bastards and A Hidden Life. We have Max von Sydow, and then Colin Firth. Uh, and then uh, who else am I thinking oh yeah Matthias Schweigoffer who people know probably know from Army of the Dead who was the safe cracker dude who's now going to be in the Army of Thieves is that what the 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 prequels called right something like that something like that and then you have uh, the Vinterberg regular uh, Magnus I who I think he's like in all of his movies or most of them I wouldn't be shocked if they're best friends in real life but yeah you have all these kind of Great actors in this movie, and this uh, movie is very you're bland.
0: getting Shmi Skywalker, Vernilla August herself. Oh yeah,
1: that's right, that's right. <laughs> and so yeah, like it, the amazing cast, really fascinating true life story, and it's kind of one of those that just doesn't quite come together. Uh, and I think we'll, we'll get into the specifics later, but I feel like it's just it's it's competently directed. It feels like. More of a director for hire job for Vinterberg. He didn't write this script. Um, I feel like it's just—I don't. I wouldn't say it's going through the motions because I think there's some good stuff in it. I just—it just doesn't, just doesn't. Kind of like Candyman, doesn't quite come together.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting because the first time I ever heard about this movie was um, actually for a Q and A for another round that I watched. That was like I think AFI was putting on. And it was weird because it was um, him, Mads Mikkelsen, who really was like spectating, and then Ryan Johnson, who was um, hosting it, and he like wasn't answering a lot of the questions about Kursk, which I thought was kind of weird at the time. And I'm like, hey, maybe I know now. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I just, I don't know. I I kind of finished up with it, and was like, what was really the point? Like, what is what is the big takeaway? Because a lot of it is just really general incompetence i mean who knows how many military-esque movies um we've seen that follow kind of the same story beats um you know there there are parts of it i like um i think a lot of the underwater sequences are really interesting um like anytime they're messing around underwater trying to race the water trying to not be on the water trying to get more water uh, there's a lot of water in this movie if you couldn't tell um, <laughs> I re- i really like those sequences like there's one um where they're looking for i don't know what the scientific name is they're like oxygen capsules or or something like that yeah
1: um, it's the whole it's a big one or underwater sequence and it's yeah really it's really really
0: effective yeah um but other than that yeah there's just a lot of like a lot of dialogue um i think colin firth comes into the movie fairly late for as big of a part as he kind of ends up having um i think max von siddow's character is a little bit in that realm as well um and there's just kind of this because you you really have two different movies kind of playing out so you have the plight of everybody underwater and then you have just the the discourse on you know are we going to save them how are we going to save them is it worth saving them are there even people down there to save um, this feels kind of disconnected you know even if they're talking about the same people um, there's two different conflicts kind of going on so i feel like it it comes off a little disjointed in that and maybe that's why neither one um really stuck with me after finishing up
1: yeah i did a, i did a little bit of research on the real life tragedy of this and it's a really fascinating story i could totally see why you'd want to make this into a movie because this was i think this happened in 2000 or it was right around there sure. But this was right after Putin was put in the office in in Russia, and this was kind of his first big disaster and how he was, how, he, how he was going to deal with this. And uh, from everything that I've read about the real life situation, he played a massive part in all of this. Where uh, kind of the the real life Colin Firth character was, and the British Army, they were. Kind of on board from the beginning, saying, "Hey, we would love to help out your cause and help save these people, because um, we have track that there are there are people still alive down there, and we would love to get the go ahead from you guys to help out and venture into your naval um, space and figure this all out." And uh, you kind of see a lot of the, a little bit of this in the movie where they uh, they don't let them do that because they're trying basically to save their asses. Um, all the like all the people that are up top and like in the Russian Navy and all the politicians and whatnot. Um, they're trying to get it done and been like, no, 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 no. We got this all covered. We're good. Like, don't worry about it. You guys. And they're trying just to basically cover all of this up. And um, yeah, I think there's, I think it works a little better because obviously like Putin does not appear in this movie and Max von Sydow plays this kind of fictional, like not good dude you know, hmm. for the Russian army. And I think uh, this movie plays a lot better if Putin is in this movie somehow. Because uh, I think it pulls its punches a little bit in terms of how it kind of deals with the ineptitude of the Russian Navy and government. Like, it's it's not... It obviously shows that they did not do enough, but it doesn't quite sink its teeth into um, just... How like how high up this went, and also just kind of everyone involved and how big of a deal this was. So I, I think from that sense, and I also read right how Winterberg they made the choice not to include Putin, which I thought was really interesting because they didn't want to get bogged down in the politics of it all. But I feel like it's kind of like a damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because I feel like. Now, because he's not in the movie, we're all questioning like, yo, why wasn't Putin in the movie? <laughs> you know? But if you do put him in, then I feel like maybe a lot of the converse, the conversation sways to just his involvement in this movie, you know, or like whoever plays him his involvement in the story. Um, I just think it would have worked better if that if they kind of made it more uh like played it out more to true life in that sense. Um, I don't know. I just think it would've worked better.
0: Yeah. Um I I'm going to agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I mean, I think the cast is doing a good job with, with what they're given, but yeah, ultimately I I don't think this movie fully comes together. Um, in the ways it's intended to.
1: Yeah. It is interesting. Cause, uh, after, I think this is since another round was actually the first Vinterberg movie I ever saw. And then we saw the high on this podcast and now, now this, and I'm really getting the, uh, kind of the the themes that vinterberg loves going for there's a he loves male camaraderie like he loves dudes just hanging out being dudes being being bros yeah exactly and it's because and i I do appreciate it because i feel like in a lot of even just like hollywood movies like the only way guys can be friends is like the rock and some other action guy just being like yeah we both have big biceps let's go destroy this bad guy together you know and then do like the predator meme where the two hands <laughs> clasping together. And that's kind of the way that's kind of the only way you can portray friendship between two males on screen. So I appreciate where his friend, like the friendship between his male characters, they're very, they're very loving. Um, it's like very non toxic masculinity at all. Uh, and they just really like each other and are just like there for each other at all times. And you see that through, I think definitely the hunt and also the hunt is all about kind of <laughs> friendship. And so it's another round as well. And so you see that too, where they're down in the submarine and they're all kind of just like figuring out how to stay alive and keep each other company. And they're really just, they really are just guys being guys being bros and it's really great. Uh, so I think, I think that's the stuff that probably drew Vinterberg to this movie. Um, and I think those are the best parts of it, but, uh, yeah, other than that, it feels like this is kind of a, it's just kind of okay. It's, it's, it's there it's a movie that exists.
0: Yeah, of the four Vinterberg movies I've seen, this is definitely the bottom of the list. Um, What's the other one that you've seen? Uh, a man When a Man Comes Home, which is about a musician who returns to his hometown and realizes he has a son that he never knew about. Is
1: it good? you like that one?
0: Yeah, it's not as good as The Hunt or... I mean, I love another round. It's, it's nowhere near another round. It's really good, and it's really funny. Um, it's certainly a step up from this, but I wouldn't put it on par with the other two.
1: Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I got to check out, there's another one I've been meaning to check out, The Commune from him, which I think was the one he did right before this one, yep. I think, right before The Command. Um, but yeah, I
0: had one other question about this movie. Why is everyone speaking English? Yeah, I've seen The Hunt for Red October. I know what a Russian is supposed to sound like.
1: <laughs> it's so... I had the same... Do you remember, you remember that movie Red Sparrow? Remember that one? The Jennifer Lawrence uh, movie?
0: Yeah, it's... The trailer is slowly coming back to me as you say that.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the same issue where the entire movie takes place like overseas and everyone's speaking English the entire time. Like with this one, it's like why there is no reason for I guess the British Army they like or the British Navy they should be speaking English, but there is no reason any of these Russian people should be speaking English whatsoever. Like it's it is weird that always pops up and it always screams of like we need to make this movie more marketable to the dumb Americans who can't read subtitles. So what's all? Let's make everyone read English <laughs> <laughs> or say English.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I feel like. Because this was a, this is the biggest budget that Vinterberg's had, and I feel like this was supposed to be kind of a a global-scale release. um, So I think that was probably part of it, because, you know, the other movies he's making in Danish for, you know, Danish people, in da- a Danish release. Whereas this is where they're like, well, we have to kind of broaden all of that, so everyone's going to speak English and we're not going to address it.
1: Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. And also... The other thing that's that's annoying to me is it's because of those the of the two kind of the two stories that's that are at play here. Um, Leah Seydu, who I think is an amazing actress, is basically just the wife character that you see in all of these disaster movies. You know where she's just sad about her husband in peril, mm-hmm. and that's kind of just that's just kind of her character. And it's just we've seen that character play out so many different times. And she's Leah Seydoux, so she has a few really good scenes where she gets to act and be great. But yeah, it's just it's. It kind of falls back on like tire, like tired Hollywood disaster movie characterizations and it's it's a little it's a little better than it's definitely better than a lot of those movies but it's a it's not it's not great in the end. I wish I kind of wish this this movie was like some big epic. It was like 3 hours long or something like that. I feel like that would have made it much better and more kind of the sprawling aspects of it would have made it that would, it would have made, I feel like made this movie come together a little more. So yeah. Um, me advocating for two movies
0: to be longer in the same podcast. Who would have, who would have ever thought it's been a strange episode. <laughs> I think we should just quit. I'm done. Uh, but yeah, that is, is Kursk. And this week's episode of the movie Bible podcast. Um, next week we get to do something that we don't get to do very often. That's talk about Marvel. Uh, so we'll, <laughs> we'll, be, uh, we'll be here talking about Shang-Chi um, uh, but as for now, that's this week's episode. Remember, you can always check us out online at goofybabble.com. <laughs>